0: You have looked over us, you provide for us, you care. I pray for those in our congregation who uh, aren't able to be with us this morning. I pray especially for Pastor Jim, for Alsi, and for others who, because of their health, cannot attend. I pray for strength and healing. Lord, I pray for this world that we live in, that you would give us... uh, a compassion, a compassion to extend the gospel to everyone, that they might come to believe in you and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. I pray for the teaching and the preaching of this word this morning. I ask that the words that are spoken by me will be your words. I pray, dear spirit, that you will work in the hearts of those here and those who are watching from afar. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's look a little bit first at the passage. Then I want to get into some of the meaning that I pull from this. Um, interesting. Uh, the book of Acts opens up with Luke giving uh, kind of a discourse of, of the planting of the church. And the initial infancy of the church uh, from Jerusalem as we read there, all the way to the remotest parts of the Roman Empire. From one end to the other. A unique thought there. Let me give this to you. I was having this conversation with a young man last week that I've been sharing my faith with. And I mentioned to him that of all of the things, of all of the, 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 the events that have taken place in history... The Apostle Paul writes that Christ was born in the most appropriate moment in history. In Galatians 4, four, it says, And Christ came in this time, in the right time. How could he say that? Well, because of these three institutions. The first one, the religious institution of the Jews. The foundation of what we believe. The understanding of a sovereign, just, omnipotent God. Who intercedes in the course of time in history to bring about the salvation of humanity. You and me. Predicted. Underscored. By the Old Testament. Perfect time. In terms of religion. But also a perfect time in terms of culture. Just one empire before the Greeks. Conquering the known world at that time. And bringing into that known world. Philosophy, art, rhetoric. These things that educated the masses to receive the gospel itself. And then the Romans. Uh, The knock on the Romans is they did not have an original idea of their own. But they accomplished so much more. Because they took the ideas of the past... And they brought life to them. And one of the most important things that they accomplished was in their road system. Think about this a road system that ran all the way from the coast of Spain to the western boundaries of India. A road system that was originally built to transport an army east, east to west, north to south became the transportation system that took the gospel from one end to the other. And so Luke is writing here of the start of the church itself. Christ is going to spend the next hundred days from His resurrection until His ascension giving those final marching orders before the Holy Spirit would come and the church would be born. And so that's what we read in these first 11 verses are these final pieces before the birth of the church. So, as I was reading through this and seeing that promise from Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come on them and the Holy Spirit in our day and age would indwell us so that we might be witnesses. Witnesses of the greatest thing that ever happened in history. And we'll get into more detail on that in a moment. But as I thought about that, I I went back. And I, I have a unique experience when it comes to sharing my faith. As a student... In college, I went to Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. Go herd. Those who know Marshall University, you know, you can't say Marshall University and not say go herd. I'll explain why one day, not today. But while I was in college, I got introduced to a group on on the campus called Campus Crusade for Christ. And the emphasis of Campus Crusade for Christ is to share the gospel to as many students as possible and faculty on a college campus. In fact, my involvement with Campus Crusade for Christ was so deep that even two of my summers I spent, one in Myrtle Beach, one in North Myrtle Beach, just for that purpose of sharing Christ. My spring breaks, I would go to Daytona Beach, and there I would share Christ with students who had come on spring break, or like in my first spring break to Daytona Beach, to a group of bikers. <laughs> that was an interesting one. Uh, as we were going out this share, and they always paired you up, guy and girl. And it's always the girls that seem to be the boldest. But they were never the ones who really introduced it. It was always the guy, and, and there's a, about four bikers. In their leather and had chains on their bikes. And this girl looked at me and she said, why don't we go over there? I'm like, why don't we go to the beach? (laughs) (laughs) So we went over there. Trembling. Afraid for my life. And we shared the four spiritual laws with them. Interesting. Four years of learning how to share that little yellow book and learning how to share it in so many different ways. And then four more years on staff with Campus Crusade competing with their track and field ministry, Athletes in Action. But almost every time I went out with that book, whether on the beach, whether at a Christmas conference in a major city throughout our country, Even in the dorm room, as I would go from dorm to dorm and speak to athletes or just speak with other students, the sweat would come up, the knees would knock, fear would be over my whole body. I would even suggest to you, even as I became a pastor, never could quite shake that apprehension that came with trying to share my faith. Something kind of snapped about four years ago. I know what you're thinking; that explains it all. (laughs) And I began to think when Jesus says, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be, and you shall receive power to become my witnesses in Jerusalem." Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. I'm to really consider what, what is that really about? What am I trying to do when I share my faith with someone? What is it? And why do I struggle so much? I mean, when I was on staff with Campus Crusade... The the emphasis was how quickly can you transition any conversation to get into the first law and to share the book up to the point at least you want to get them to choose a circle and hopefully choose the right circle. For those who know the four spiritual laws, you understand what I mean by the circles. The circle with Christ, the circle without Christ. And became more of a task of sharing that little book than really getting to know a person, so I started to think more and more about that four years ago, and I said, "Why am I so afraid? Why just this doesn't just come out just naturally for me? I remember as a this is a, an add-on I remember I, I liked a girl in high school. And um, we dated for about a month. <laughs> my 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 high school my my junior high they laughed. <laughs> I think they're laughing because they thinking, someone dated you. Uh, no. <laughs> no, that girl. was well, she yeah, that for her it was a better benefit than for me because she ended up getting her her mother got her living room painted. And I took her to the Doobie Brothers. So she got a, she got a freshly painted living room and a concert. And I got one kiss. That's okay. That prepared me for the future. Um, but I remember with her, I wanted her to know Christ so bad. I really did. And so I saw she had her bag there that she had with her her books and, and, and we were putting on a musical, Fiddler on the Roof. And I remember when everybody was up on stage but by me, I took that little four spiritual laws book. And I slid it into her book bag. Yeah. No, it didn't work. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. How many of you like me you feel the same way about witnessing? How many of you, when you start, you get that opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ, that lump that's in your throat, it becomes the size of a grapefruit and nothing comes out. All of a sudden, everything that you have studied, you have memorized from a on, is like you don't know any verse in the Bible. Here's my question. Do you understand what the Lord is really asking you to do? When we talk about being a witness and sharing Christ with others, do you really understand what the Lord is asking you to do? I want to go through that with you. A series of pairs that I think will help us understand and hopefully Take the tension out of the moment. The first one is this. There are two preconceived notions I had that were wrong. The first one was, I thought I had to have the right presentation, the right answers, or the right beliefs to share my faith. I had to have it right. My goodness, what if they asked me a question I didn't know? What if I said something that wasn't quite right and they didn't believe? What if, and I I tell you, I went through learning how to share my faith, one method after another after another, from the four spiritual laws to the bridge to life, to lifestyle evangelism, to the way of the master's approach. I've done them all. I've learned apologetics left and right. Everyone from C.S. Lewis. I've learned my theology, my doctrine. Those who know me, I've gone from a United Methodist heavy Wesleyan Arminian theology to a pure Baptist Calvinistic theology theology. I really believed that I have to have it right. Can I tell you something? It's not about having the right presentation, although you should learn how to share your faith. It's not necessarily about having all of the apologetic answers, though you should learn those. It's not about having the right doctrine, although your pursuit in life And pursuing Christ should always lead to a strengthening of your beliefs. The gospel is simple. You know it and I know it. Can I give it to you briefly? Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended into heaven. And Jesus will one day return. Is that not the gospel? The young man I'm sharing with now, he's like, I don't know if I trust the Bible. It's written by all these guys over all of these years. And I said, yeah, that's right. That's why I believe it. I said, but there's much more to it. I said, the Bible is truncated down to this. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended to heaven And Jesus will return. Don't have to know a whole lot more than that, do I? I want to be able to put flesh on that. But that's the gospel. The second thing there, I was always under the strange notion that it was my responsibility to bring people to the Lord. What if I said the wrong thing? What if in the course of the conversation, my efforts to persuade them to Jesus, it went wrongly? What then? Instead of bringing them to the Lord, did I push them away from Jesus and an eternity in hell? Is it my fault they didn't come to Christ? Jesus never said... That I'm here to save anyone. He just simply said, Testify. Testify. Just go and tell. Interesting. The Apostle Paul goes to Ephesus, is dragged out of the city stoned and left for dead and yet a mighty church exploded out of Ephesus. Then later would go to Athens and there with the seed of the intellectuals make one of the greatest presentations of the gospel ever done and only some believed. The city that Paul went to after Athens is an interesting city, the seaport there between the two seas, Corinth. And after his experience in Athens, Paul rides into Corinth and it says this in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, I reckoned upon you to only say this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to bring people to the Lord. He simply asks you to be the voice. To be the voice. To be his mouthpiece here on earth. That's all. That's all. Secondly, there are two right understandings of what the purpose of witnessing are. Again, this first one kind of goes back to what I just said, but I want to bring it into a little one because I want you to understand what you're really doing. The first pur- purpose, the primary purpose for witnessing is to honor God. Think about it with me. This took all the pressure off of me. This one right here has taken all of the pressure off of me because you know what I'm doing? I'm not trying to win, convert, save anybody. I am declaring to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. I am declaring the love and kindness of God. The one who is just is the one who justifies. I'm giving honor to the God of the universe, that he exists, that he is holy, and he is loving, and I am saved because of it. That's what I'm doing to the glory of God. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, everything, even what you eat, what you drink, do all for the glory of God. And can I tell you something? When you share Christ, you have done the greatest glory. Because nothing in history measures up to that event of the cross. Because in the cross, we see, (laughs) we see a just God satisfied by the love of God. Through one act of grace, the Son of God shedding His blood on the cross provides the offering for the wrath of God so that the mercy of God can be given. It just makes me leap. Just consider that event and that God has given me, given me the privilege of declaring the greatness of his love alongside his holiness. That's what witnessing is. That's the first thing that we do. We're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done. We are glorifying the God of the universe for his plan and his purpose to bring salvation to those who would receive him. We are honoring God with every moment we tell someone about Jesus. I like telling people about God. The second one. The other purpose is for the eternal benefits of others. Sometimes I think we get so caught ourselves in the temporal part of life that we forget that this is only a small piece. We are creatures of eternity. And the issue isn't whether or not we will be eternal. The issue is where we we'll be in eternity. There are people out there who need the Lord Jesus Christ. Do they not? There are people out there who are on just one step away from the fire itself. They need Jesus. You get to be the one to warn them. You get to be the one to proclaim to them a different way, a different life with Jesus Christ. One that leads to eternal life. And takes him from eternal death. Uh, This young man I've been sharing with. Interesting. As we talk about. And he believes in judgment. He believes we'll stand before God. But he says I want to stand before God. And for God to show me everything I did wrong. So that I can go back and make it right. (laughs) Right. Oh, to which I said, yeah. uh, Problem with that. You don't go back. You don't go back. Hebrew says, inasmuch as is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. You don't go back. In the story of rich man and Lazarus, which I shared with him this week, I showed him the rich man. Send Lazarus back and tell my brother so that they will not come here too. Hmm. You can't go back and make it right. That's why we have regret. So many things in our lives we'd like to go back and make it right. But you can't. And that's why mercy is so important. And that's why men and women, boys and girls, need to know the mercy of God. Because you can't go back. The next one, there are two realities that people have for the gospel. You see, the gospel exposes our greatest need, as I was speaking about. We stand in the presence of a holy God Guilty. There's not going to be any defense. We're not going to have some shady lawyer trying to make a plea deal on our behalf. You stand in the presence of the holy God and you're guilty. And your guilt is not because you lied or because you stolen or because you committed adultery or whatever list you may go to. You are condemned for one thing. Your creator. You reject it. You do all these things. I do all these things. Not because I'm bad. I do all these things. And I'm bad because I reject God. Think about it. Think about it. What is at the heart of every sin we commit? Selfishness. Me. You see, if we're in a right relationship with God, in pursuing what pleases Him, we shouldn't, probably won't, be doing these others. Right? Isn't that what repentance is? We get so caught up in what we're repenting from. And what ends up happening, we haven't considered what we're repenting to. And instead, we're trying to repent from, repent from. And what do we end up doing? Going right back to it. Repent to the Father. Repent to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the desires... For sin slowly fades away. Don't think so? Try it. Secondly, along with that, is the gospel prescribes the only remedy? There are not many ways to God. They're not. In every other religion, in every other spiritual endeavor... It's about my efforts. It's about what I can do. It's about what I will do for myself. It's like this friend I have. He's like, I will go back and I will change the way I live. So now I'll be right with God. It's not the way it works. There's only one way. And it's through Jesus Christ. Old song we sang that came out of the Billy Graham uh, crusades by Andre Kraut said, Jesus is the answer. For the world today. Above him, there's no other. He's the only way. He is. He is because he's the one that satisfied the judgment of God. And he's the only one that was capable and able to do that. Without Jesus' death on the cross, We are utterly lost. Pastor Jim preached this on Easter. The resurrection proves that the sacrifice of Jesus was received. And if he wasn't received, we're a bunch of fools. But thanks be to God that our Lord is risen and risen indeed because I now have hope. And the fourth one, two motivations we should have to be a witness. The first one is this. We need to have an earnest and dynamic hunger for the Lord. When he talks about the Holy Spirit coming on you and giving you power to be his witnesses, I don't want you to miss this. We think of something miraculous, supernatural. While the, the speaking in the other languages was so vital, it was a proclamation of the gospel to people. Who were there in Jerusalem. It was a sign to the gospel. Because eventually the crowd would gather around Peter. And Peter would lay out very clearly, prophetically. What had just happened days before. And say. And when the people's hearts were stricken. And they cried out, what must we do to be saved? Peter said. Repent and be baptized for the salvation of your soul. In other words, turn your life to Christ. Right? Power. Uh, But the power came on a transformation that took place in the life of these believers and the life of those early believers. If you go at the end of Acts 2.42, it says what they all had in common. And that now they took all that had common and they took care of those in need. It says they listened to the apostles' teaching. It said that they prayed. Well, they prayed together. It said that they fellowshiped. Fellowshiped with each other. And through that fellowship with each other came their fellowship with God. It said they broke bread. They remembered the life and death of Jesus Christ continually. Here's what I'm saying. When the Holy Spirit came upon you on your point of salvation, something took place in your heart, began to change who you are. And what it really changed in you is what the Holy Spirit is at work doing in you. It changed that relationship between you and God, it took you and made you a new man and a new woman. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict me of sin, right? The work of the Holy Spirit is to teach me the words of Jesus. Jesus says he will come and he will teach you all things. And he does through the illuminating work of the, Holy, of the, of the word itself. When I read the Bible, I get closer to Jesus. And it's not about an exegetical study. It's simply reading and conversing with the Lord Jesus Christ through his written word. He speaks to me as I think on this word through the week. And that drives me to pray, to speak to him. My goodness, what does it take to become a committed Christian? If you think this is enough... Showing up at this religious event, singing a few songs of praise to God once a week, hearing a good Bible lesson, you think that's enough? If it doesn't drive you out of here and a closer, deep pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, this has no meaning. Here's what I'm talking about. I don't want you to miss this. This is the vital part of this whole message. If anything else comes out of this, it's you and Jesus. Not just Sunday morning at 9.30. Not just 5 o'clock with the youth group. Not with the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study. Not with all of the events we do. I want you to do everything. I know you won't and you can't. But I want you to because I think that makes us better as a people. But if you are not on Monday morning thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, my question is, what's wrong? If on Wednesday, your prayers, your voice isn't speaking out to Jesus, what's wrong? You want to know why you don't have a better witness for Christ? If you're not walking with Christ, you have no credibility. If this is all you got, can you do me a favor? Don't talk about Jesus because he's not real. He's a man. You might as well go back and see if he's still in the tomb. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. He desires that communion with you every moment of the day. He prays. Do you realize? Hebrews says as our great high priest, he intercedes on our behalf every single day. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I think we get it confused. We think Jesus is up there with the work crew from Todd Construction building buildings for us. He's not. What he's preparing, I believe more than that, is not necessarily the place. He's preparing me for the place. Amen? I want you to know Jesus every day. I want you as you're driving up I-5 instead of cussing at the cars that keep cutting you off, talk to Jesus. Oh my. He died for you. Can you not love him with all of your heart? Peter. There they are walking along the shore. And Jesus says, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Second time, do you love me? Feed my sheep. A third time, do you love me? And and then Peter just getting upset. Can you imagine, Peter, who are you talking to? And you're getting upset. Lord, you know I love you. And that's probably the way he said it. Just kind of in this, you know everything, Jesus, you know I love you. And calmly, Jesus says, Feed my sheep. Do you love Jesus? I mean, really, is he your purpose for living? Jesus doesn't want to be the biggest slice of pie in your life. Jesus wants to be the hub on the wheel that runs your life. And everything in your life, from your work, from your family, is a gift and a responsibility by God that we do it through our relationship with Jesus. Second part of that. We need to have a broken heart for those who don't know the Lord. He goes through a scope there, doesn't he? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth. We have our own Jerusalem. It's called first and foremost our families. Mom, dad, I don't care what you, you encourage your children to do. I want you to encourage them. I want you to place them in the best places where they have the greatest experiences. Where they hit the winning Grand Slam. Where they get... The grand achievement on their graduation day, where eventually they become adults and they find that three, four, even five figure job. But if they don't have Jesus, they have nothing. They have nothing. You need to take every moment and every opportunity to tell your son and your daughter about the Lord Jesus Christ. Dads, especially you, do not just push this off to mama. Moms, you need to be involved and you need to give your whole heart to that child. But dads, you need to be the leader. You need to be the one to come by that little girl and you need to be the one saying, I'm praying for you. You need to come side that boy who needs a Dad. Who needs some leadership. Who needs some direction. And you need to say, son, I'm here to help you. Let's do this together for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then your other friends, your other families. You know, you're in that job that you have. You think it's there to make money. I'm going to say something different. I think you're there to be the light of God. I think you're there to be an influence for him. I think you're there to share the gospel. And then as opportunities come out in culture, in society, set your mark. But let me tell you, we get so caught up in wanting to change the gospel. We get so caught up in being involved in political causes. This cause, the world will not be changed. But people can be through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The aim is salvation, not a better world. We're not a Coke commercial. What does it take to be a witness? Ah, Let me sum it up to you this way. Someone who loves God with all of their heart, every moment of every day. And someone who has a great desire for those who don't know him to know him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Where are they? Oh, is it...